0: This episode of the Pain Game Podcast is sponsored by Mech Arena. This is one of the best online games I've played on mobile because it's very competitive, I love shooting games and I know a lot of you lot do as well and you really have to look your level of skill in order to win. Here are some of my mechs, as you can see. I've got a few in the locker and this guy is my favourite. Paragon's his name. And there's lots of different weapons to choose from. Get that, put that on, there we go beast of the auto cannon. All right, you can see your controls on screen, so I can move the guy around like this and find an enemy. And I'm always playing against other users. It's not fake people or robots or anything like that. As you can see, you can use the controls on the bottom of the screen and just tap the screen. You've got to actually get good at aiming. There's real skill involved here. All right. Maybe you lot will have a bit more luck than I did. Luckily, I've got other mechs. And the actual aiming is actually really easy to do. You just put your thumb on the screen, turn, and you can find them quite comfortably to really user-friendliness. With the way they've mastered these controls, it's it's one of the best games you'll play on a mobile. Hands down. Come on, yes! Smash them! There are loads of events happening in-game right now, with amazing daily welcome rewards happening all of this month. You can get loads of awesome weapons including Mech Arena's hottest new weapon, the Disc Launcher. On top of that, there's loads of Halloween events to take part in with some extra special Halloween skins. It's completely free to play on Android and iOS right now, and you can use my personal link, which is in the description right now, to download or the QR code. With that, you will get the Forest Digital skin, 200 air coins, and 10,000 credits. This is a really fun game. It's free. You know what to do. The links in the description below. But for now, enjoy the podcast. At one time, I was homeless. Instead of going home every night, there was no home to go to.
1: Life at home was very difficult. I grew up being abused. I lost my belt. I lost respect. I embarrassed my family. My vision was pretty much non-existent. I was able to just about scrape by the medicals. When I come out, I have supreme confidence. I'm scared to death. I'm afraid of everything.
0: I didn't care about living. I just wanted to die. I got up and I felt the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. I knew I was going to make a comeback.
1: Fighting. This was designed for me. This is what makes us who we are. I'm the best! Who the fuck is that? I am so far ahead in this game. My dream,
0: my vision for myself, is to be the greatest martial artist to ever live.
1: I have always been a fighter. There's nothing I do better in this life than fighting. There ain't never been a man that could beat me. Be. I was born to do this. Nobody can get close. I'm the best fighter in the world. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion that ever been.
0: So yeah, welcome back to the Pain Game Podcast. This is Michael, the Count Bisping, an MMA legend, a UK MMA legend, all of that. Easily one of my favorite fighters ever. Um, And actually, mate, I think your, um, your legacy is aging like a fine wine, actually. When I look at your career now, when you look at how hard... Other people have found it to stay at that top level for a sustained period of time. You are always there or thereabouts. You're always in contention. And even though it took you a while to get the title, it must feel great looking back on your career and thinking, yeah, not many people are going to replicate that anytime soon.
1: Well, thanks, Brian. And great to talk to you again, as always. Um, Yeah, I mean, you said a lot of nice things and I really appreciate it. I, I try not to, you know, look back on past uh, success and, uh-huh. and, and live in those times. But yeah, no, you're right. I, I certainly do look back and I am proud. And uh-huh. as, as you mentioned, it is tough, you know, to stay at the top for so long, you know. and Yeah, I had a roller coaster of a ride, if you will. You know, I got to number one contenders. I lost them mm-hmm. and then I got there and I lost them. But I was always at that time, I was always very proud of that. I'm like, I I know how hard it is to get to a number one contender matchup. That alone should be proud of. Uh, to do it several times isn't easy. Of course, the final time I, I actually managed to get the belt as well. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I look back on it fondly. Obviously, it was a tough career, a lot of injuries that I still live with to this day. But I wouldn't change a thing. And wow. and it's allowed me now this this life after fighting, which which is uh, going extremely well. Because. I'm sure you speak to many athletes and fighters and whatnot. It, it's terrifying as a uh-huh. fighter, what you're going to do after your fight career. Do you know what I'm saying? And that always, I was always shit scared of that. You know what I mean? I didn't want to go back to working in factories again and working for fucking minimum wage. And this was just like a little blip on the timeline of my life, if you will. You know mm. what I'm saying? So, but yeah, yeah, no, it, it was great. Thanks, Brian. And you've, uh, obviously you've just signed a new
0: contract as a commentator for the UFC, but you know, pray that, there was that little bit of limbo that a lot of athletes seem to go through fighters. There's that thing that I think people like Ricky Hatton have often talked about of when you come off that huge adrenaline wave of all these people cheering your name and everything that you went through like was that was there a period of like a come down from all of that where you're like fuck or did you just get over that pretty easily? <laughs>
1: Yeah, there wasn't a come down period, to be honest. I Mm -hmm. I do understand what you're saying and I understand why people would have that. But for me... I mean, ever since I lost my eye in 2013, which I was, I was always lying about and, and cheating on tests and all the rest <laughs> of it to make it to the octagon. Fuck me, but I, but I always knew, I always knew that my career was going to end any minute. Do you know what I mean? So I was always on borrowed time. Mm-hmm. So that's why I started doing all these other things. Started doing a podcast, started working harder on my acting career, trying to get commentating with the UFC or a, a, anything I could do to build a career outside of fighting. And, and in hindsight, that was very beneficial because a lot of the time people don't do that. They don't have the foresight when they're in the public's eye, you know, because let's be honest, you know, when you're a former washed up fighter, people aren't really interested. But when you've got that platform, you know, you can take advantage of it. So, yeah. So I knew, I mean, even, even when I won the belt, you know. Uh, everyone wanted me to retire then my wife wanted me to retire I'm like well babe fucking hell we can finally start making some proper money don't get me wrong UFC always paid me really well but I'm like now you're the champ you know that definitely increases Mm -hmm. um and then I pushed that for a little bit as well so if anything I I overstayed my welcome you know what I mean it wasn't
0: (laughs) cut short (laughs) honestly bro, because obviously I'd interviewed you uh before you announced that you'd had this eye injury and all of that I was fucking shocked. I mean, I seen you, you literally popped it out on a fucking podcast, and I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm, I literally interviewed the guy not long ago. Yeah. I mean, wow. There it is. Yeah. And if you it,
1: see the eye, you see it's non existent. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, but
0: the fact that you were able to achieve what you did, I mean, it's, it's staggering me. I mean, it it almost adds to the whole thing. It's like you what you mean to tell me not just on two weeks' notice, not just everything else that you went through to get to that final fight, but also you did a whole the whole thing with one eye. Like, I mean, I don't even know where to start with this. But you know, like pre that point, I know how your family is a huge part of your life, and I, what was it like talking to them about having this? You know, the eye removed and all of that. Like, what, what, what was it like just being Bisping at that point? Uh,
1: I, I mean, it was a, it was a tough time when it all came about. You know, and, and I I want to tell you the story and I'm happy to tell you all the story, but it's also part of the fucking show that I'm doing <laughs> next week. and, if, and got I say, to promote if I, them. If I, if I spill the beans on here, then the, 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 there's no point going well, to the well, show. But g- I, Give us the I'll short you, version. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you some bullet points where it's yeah. going to be the short version on the show. Otherwise the whole thing takes fucking hours. <laughs> um, but yeah, listen, after Vito Belfort, you know, uh, I started, having, I got a detached retina and, you know, I had a lot of issues and and the vision was going, you know, but I was still obsessed with still trying to fight. See, the thing is I just moved to California and we just bought this big stupid house that we didn't need. And I had a nasty, nasty lawsuit going on with my former management. And that was Mm -hmm. all totally fabricated, utter... Lies. There was, they had not a shred of evidence, but they were good bullshitters and they produced bunch uh, so many fake documents that they just ma- uh, doctored and manufactured. It was utter nonsense that it lasted so long. And it, the, the legal fees were absolutely astronomical. You wouldn't believe. And anyway, that recently just got totally dismissed. They owe a fucking ton of money in legal fees and they owe me a ton of money as well. So I'm coming for it. Is that the Wolf Slayer uh,
0: thing or is this y- something yeah, else?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what happened was you know, at that moment in time, retiring, wasn't it, it was it, it, it wasn't an option do you know what i mean and i know it sounds not as romantic as what people like to think when you say you were doing it for the money but we just moved to california we just started a new life just bought a house and this lawsuit was on every month it was 30 40 grand to the lawyers just for legal fees all the time do you know what me. i mean it was fucking insane and if you don't fight it then you're fucked then you lose do you know what i mean so so to, to be able to fight that i had to be fighting in the octagon so, uh,
0: but yeah, I'm sure into- you, the, because you, you, the missus plays a big role in your life, and she's yep. now. She, I mean, she'd be worried about everything like that. Were, were, did you have to convince her, or were you just like, "Look, babe, I'm doing it."
1: Nah, nah, she, 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 she she's a very smart intelligent woman and she's you know she's not you know i'm a knucklehead let's be honest she's the total opposite she's very calm and she's a sweet lady uh Uh, and she doesn't have blind faith in me but but she no that was never she we never had that conversation she always knew i could still do it i didn't even know i could still do it uh so anyway so whichever way round it was i got you know, license to fight again. You know, I might have told a few lies. I might have cheated on a few tests. I might have bullshitted till the cows came home, but I did. And I managed to pull it off and I was fighting. But, but, but fighting was really hard with one eye. And, you know, fortunately I'm an orthodox fighter. So that means here. So this eye here, cause you're kind of on an angle. Aye. So this eye sees kind of 180 degrees ish. Uh-huh. If I was a South one, I was like, I see, I can't see my hand there now. You know yeah. what I mean? So I would have been fucked if I was a southpaw. Obviously, depth perception was a real issue. Like, a lot of the time, I'll go to grab a cup like I am now and I'll miss it the first couple of times. You know, just little things like that, like touching things, putting a contact lens in my good eye. That, oh, you want to see me, it takes me 20 fucking minutes every day. <laughs> I lose, I am losing my mind putting, I'm like, I fuck shake! Because the, 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 uh, the, 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 the the lenses are every two weeks. I can't get dailies because my prescription's so strong. So I can't have daily ones. So and you only get so many off the doctor for the year. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, I've got to take my time and I'm trying to fucking unfold them and I throw them away. I'm Fuck, shit me. in the bed every day with my fucking contact lenses. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent there. It's fucking annoying. Uh so yeah there's definitely challenges with having one eye I walk down the street I I bump into lampposts and stuff I'm a very animated guy I remember once and this happens all the time for example I was in Times Square and I was standing at a traffic light and I'm telling a story and I'm like do this with my hands and I hit and I've cracked this fucking lovely sweet (laughs) old lady in the face do you know what I mean I do shit like that all the time because I was clumsy already do you know what I mean without fucking losing an eye (laughs) oh my god I am so sorry love and you look at like you're a total dickhead you know what i mean um so yeah so fighting with it was very hard but the thing was inspiring as I said, I mentioned the depth perception there, right? And and at the start, you'd be hitting fresh air, but the brain's a magnificent thing. And then when I'd finally touch my opponent, like if I touch my coffee cup, first couple of times I'll miss it. But then when I catch it, it's like the, the brain remembers Then do you know what I mean? And then when I made contact with my sparring partner, then things would get a lot better. Do you know what I mean? So the first like 30, 45 seconds, a minute, whatever, was always a little shaky, whatever. But then once we got into it and started actually exchanging blows, then I kind of warmed up into it. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely tough though.
0: Commentary-wise, you're doing a fucking brilliant job, and I'm not just saying this. I think everyone recognizes that you've really announced yourself as an announcer. Um you're you're the perfect blend, which is something that I think the UFC have always wanted and been looking for as a bit of humor, a bit of experience, great analysis, all of that. And um I feel like you're number 1 in the game right now actually. I've got to be honest. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, you said that to me recently, I think, Mm. and I I truly appreciate that. That's very kind. I would never, ever say anything like that. Mm. I'm very lucky to be a part of a great team. Mm. The UFC production team really is top notch and the producers involved, all the information that they give us, you know, there's a lot of work goes into it. So if I'm commentating on a Saturday, all week leading into that is... not all week, but certainly several hours per day is dedicated to studying the fighters. We have fighter meetings where we sit down with them and we talk about their training camp and what's new, et cetera, et cetera. Anything new in your personal life. So there's a lot of research goes into it and I'm very lucky to be a part of that team. And yeah, it seems people are enjoying it. I just, uh, well, we've agreed to a four-year contract. I, I haven't actually got the contract yet, but but, but, but <laughs> so, so I should be around for at least another four years, hopefully. But for me, I absolutely love it. I love it, mate. It's, it's yeah. the perfect job because if it wasn't for the commentary, I would be thinking about fighting again. You know what I mean? It keeps me involved with the sport that I love, the sport that gave me so much in life. You know, this sport, Mixed Martial Arts, has made me a happy man and made my family happy. I I finally found my calling in life. Prior to that, I was just getting in trouble. I was a little shit. I was getting pissed on a Friday night and getting into stupid, mindless scraps. You know how it is. It's it's not a unique story.
0: Even when you started your UFC career, obviously, I, I watched from day one right in the Ultimate Fighter House and everything. If you'd said then this guy is going to be like the voice of of the UFC you know just because of what a troublemaker and a playful guy you were you know but you've you've calmed down a lot you've you you've sort of you seem like a businessman now you've got all this stuff going on uh it's it's fucking great to see but one of the things I want to ask you about obviously Joe Rogan is like the goat of commentary now in MMA uh, but he's been getting a lot of flack lately and you recently stuck up for him. What, what do you make of all of this criticism that he's been getting? People, I don't know if it's like, you know, when you become almost too good and you've had such a legacy that people want to tear you down or whatever. What do you make yeah. of it?
1: Well, well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, but I will expand. Uh-huh. Um, listen, it does seem, I even said in the tweet, I said it's uh, strange or whatever, the trend lately is to kind of slag him off as a commentator. Uh-huh. And I fine when I watch the pay-per-views because hopefully one day I'll get to start doing them but still as uh, it's I actually like it that I get to sit back as a fan and watch the pay-per-views on my couch with my family and friends you know what I mean so I still get to enjoy it as a fan Uh, but that's a whole nother thing And but when I'm watching Joe I think he's fantastic and and the way he breaks down and finds some of the points that he makes I think he's absolutely sensitive and I'm not just saying that to say the right fucking thing Mm -hmm. and and there's also there's no nostalgia with Joe he's been there since the beginning pretty much you know what I mean not the complete beginning but Pretty much, you know what uh-huh. I'm saying? I, I, I think, as you just said, when somebody gets to a certain level, they just want to they just want to talk shit and take them down. Of course, you got that huge Spotify deal, you know, and then... Do you think the, money, the money
0: makes people treat them a bit, look a bit different? To, um,
1: it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't, but it's a possibility. Some of his political stuff on his podcast as well as maybe rubbing people up the wrong way. Like yesterday, someone, in response to that tweet that I put out there in support of him, someone came back talking about COVID stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but that's got fuck all to do with his commentary has it i don't agree with all this shit with the ivermectin and all the rest of it whatever that's another podcast i'm like but when it comes to his commentary that's got nothing to do with it what are you talking about so <clears throat> i think i i it's it's the oldest trick in the book is it you build someone up you build someone up and then when they get there and they're all big and they've made it oh fuck that let's strip them back down i think joe's fantastic he really is and maybe he makes a mistake here and there you know, uh, we, we all do. I know yeah. I do.
0: I I, I make a few mistakes. I've seen an article written about um uh, one of those big MMA sites where they were like, oh, these other guys make more effort than him. You know, he doesn't deserve it anymore. And he gets paid the most money. He does the least work. And it's like, well, I just thought to myself, that's what you get when you've been there from day 1 yep. and did the vast majority of his early stuff for absolutely free of charge like he he deserves that in my opinion but it, it is it does seem to coincide with him getting 100 million quid in the bank that uh, people seem to... Well, be well don't quote them. me
1: on this, but I heard from a pretty good source it's 100 million per year.
0: Yeah, I heard that too, something like that, yeah. <laughs> so, so
1: anyone that's sick about the 100 million, <laughs> fucking take that, mate, and put that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, no, I, I, I think you're right. And as you just said, you know, welcome to the real world. If you yeah. get in early and you work your way up and you become one of the most recognizable faces, then yeah, like I'm doing fight nights. You know, and there's a lot of entry-level talent on there. And, and the research is a little harder. Yeah, But I enjoy that. But it takes more work, of course. Joe Rogan does the pay-per-views, and other people do as well, DC and others, and Anik, et cetera. Wow. And there's not as much research required for those because they're big name stars, you know what I mean? They're pay-per-view headliners and and a lot of the star power's higher. But the the reality is you still have to give, I try and give the first fighter on the prelims the same kind of attention as I do as the main event because they they deserve it. They're they're still making the same sacrifices. They're putting the health on the line, they're taking chances and they're trying to get their career off to a good start. So, you know, that that can be a little challenging sometimes because you can't find tape, you can't find interviews and all that type of thing. but you've still got to put the work in.
0: Um, our, you know, your countryman Dan Hardy was uh, let go, or, or whatever went on there. Um, how did that make you feel when that whole situation went down? Because obviously you and him have got a long, you know, relationship there.
1: Yeah, I've, I've known Dan for a long time, but we're not exactly buddy buddy. You uh-huh. know what I mean? So it, it was a shame because me, me and Dan actually, believe it or not, we started training together in two thousand and four down in Nottingham. You oh, wow. know, and it was me, Dan, Paul Daly. With this, with this guy called Paul Davis that was like my, my old sensei from when I was a little kid. Uh-huh. And that's what got me into MMA. Cause I, I went to prison and I did a few other fucking things. I was an idiot. I came out and I'm like, right, I got to get on the straight and narrow and this, and in the end I, I tried to join the army, but I couldn't do that because of my criminal record, which is fucking crazy. I'm trying to join the army for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. I've only had a few bar fights. I would think that's who you want. I, I, I'd imagine I was a Sergeant Major's fucking wet dream, yeah. but still <laughs> they turned me down. Um, and then, and then, um, uh, I was like, "What am I going to do?" And I tracked down my old sensei, and because he, he used to call me and tell me about the explosion. And he said, "There's money to be made in martial arts fighting." Because obviously, when I was a kid, there was nothing. It was just for the hobby, for the love mm-hmm. of it. And I used to, I used to ignore him, you know. Uh, but then. When I was trying to turn my life around, I tracked him down, and he told me all about the explosion of something called MMA, and uh, said there was huge money to be made and all the rest of it. So I said, "Fuck it, uh, let's give it a go," and I started training with him. And I was training with someone called some little skinny tall rag called Dan Hardy. So, so yeah, no, I've got me and Dan go back a fair way. But as I say, he went off and did his own thing. Uh, with Paul Daly, I stuck with that guy for a little bit and then he turned into a bit of a nutcase. So I kind of drifted away and then up with a bunch of Robin Scousers. Uh, but, but... Uh, uh, Even yeah, so ended uh, Rampage exactly ended close. up in
0: Wolfslayer as well, didn't he? Uh, you and Rampage were quite famously buddies and that sort of... Yeah. He, he seemed to, I don't know, it seemed to work for a bit. And then I think he knocked out Vandalay when he was there.
1: Yeah, that's right, he did, yeah. yeah. But those, uh, they, they, they weren't good guys. They weren't good yeah. guys. They, they were robbing a lot of money for a lot of people. Okay. Rather not get into it, lawsuits and Fair shit, play, you know man. what I mean? Fair play, but, uh, but yeah, no, so listen, yeah, it was a shame what happened with that. I don't actually know the details, so who knows? Maybe you deserved it, maybe you didn't. I don't know. I, okay. I, I, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, you're, you're doing this um, Tales from the Octagon tour, which um, is in, you're coming to the UK uh, very soon. Uh, we'll put the yeah. dates in the description below so everyone can find out where Mike's going to be in the UK and when they can come and see you. Uh, but what is it like to get in up in front of a load of people and you really can see their eyes looking at you when you're on stage? It's not like what we're doing right now. Uh, you know, was that okay for you? Or?
1: I'll tell you after next week. Oh, shit. You haven't <laughs> even done one yet. Okay. Okay. I'm, well, I'm shitting my pants. So listen, <laughs> the, way, the way this came about, uh, I, I, I'm invested in a company with some friends of mine in Toronto. So I'm up in Toronto a fair bit before the pandemic, of course. And uh, I got talking to this agent and he said, you got a big following up here, Mike. You should put on like a, a one-man show, an evening with type thing. And I thought, yeah, sounds like a laugh. Why not? So I got mm-hmm. Lewis, that numpty that I do a podcast with. He's and, and listen, even though I want to strangle him on occasion, he's a hilarious co- comedian. He is mm-hmm. very, very good at his craft. So uh, so we did this little show, right? And it was me and him on stage. He's going to, he, he did a set to warm up and then it was me and him going through my career but he'd like handle the media stuff and then chime in on the microphone here and there and talk shit slag me off whatever no one wants to hear someone standing up there and saying how great they are so he's very self-deprecating and I did that and it was fun I I had a great time everyone there was laughing their heads off it it, it was a fun night and then afterwards I got talking to this promoter who wanted me to do a virtual seminar this guy's just trying to make some money through the pandemic. You know what I mean? And he came up with this idea and I was thinking about doing it. And then on one of the emails that I got as this was being planned, uh, they were talking about the downloadable goal setting guide that people attending this seminar will get. And I was like, that's it. I'm fucking out. So I, I emailed back. I said, I have never, written down a goal in my life but you want me to stand up there and talk about setting goals and all the rest of it I'm sure for some people that's great but it's just not me you know and it's very American I'm sure but it's, it's not our fucking lads from Lancashire or Newcastle I don't know if you're from Newcastle but whatever am, it's not yeah. how we get down do you know what I mean that's not how we operate mate so I said I'm sorry sorry you know I'm sure it's a great concept but I, I'm going to bow out respectfully but in our conversations I told them about this one man show that I did and how I'd love to take it to England because it was a great laugh anyway they went and fucking made it happen didn't they and they came back with all these great venues and i said yeah fuck it all right i said i wanted to do it so let's do it and then I didn't realize the size of the venues. Some of them hold like three thousand five hundred people, mm. and they're pretty much sold. Well, Dublin was one hundred percent sold out, and all the other venues. There's only like a handful of tickets left in, in most of them. Uh, so now I've got to walk out, and Lewis won't be on the stage with me. He's doing a warm up, and then he and then that's it. Then he's going to come out at the end, and we're going to do a Q and A with the audience. So it'll be interactive. But for about an hour, hour and a half, I'm going to be on stage by myself <laughs> for three and a half thousand people. Jesus. So I've been putting a lot of time and effort and a lot of stress and a lot of sleepless nights to try and polish it up. And, and I'm, I'm happy with where it's at. You know, it's good. I mean, I know off the top of my head, that's fine. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm good at this type of thing. I commentate. Obviously I went before a pandemic, I'd walk into a crowd and speak to 20,000 people on a microphone. I've done hall of fame speech, uh, Q and A's at weigh-ins and whatnot. So I'm used to this type of thing, but this will definitely be stepping it up a notch. So if you do attend, please, please, be nice, be gentle, <laughs> laugh. Don't talk shit. I, I keep having these nightmares that nah. halfway through it, everyone gets up and they're walking out, and no nah, one's nah. laughing on the heart. You're shit. one of the few
0: people who can do this and not get heckled because they you, they know you could literally just jump in this crowd and kick off. <laughs> like you'd be fine. Uh, oh, but yeah, it, it 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 is. We we had offers like that, and I remember thinking, "Fucking hell! Like that is a a hell of an undertaking." So yeah, more power to you, mate. Because yeah, it takes a no, lot no, of work. No, no
1: it is. You know, with my career, listen, I was a good fighter and I managed to win the belt. You know what I mean? But I know what gave me such a great career was the support of the British public. Do you know what I mean? And without them, there would have been no, I probably wouldn't have that the Hall of Fame statue behind me. Do you know what I mean? And it was that support that I felt, that unwavering support for so many years that kept me going, that kept me working so hard. So yeah, of course, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's a business endeavor, but also I did want to come back because I wanted to have my final retirement fight in London. Even after I was almost blind, and my and my other eyes, I've got issues with that eye, and that's why I decided to step away. But even after that, I decided to take another fight. I was supposed to fight with Shard Evans in London, and that was going to be my my farewell. But I wanted to do it in England to thank everyone, if you will. And I know it sounds fucking cheesy and whatnot, but but it's it is a something that's close to my heart. Um, so that's part of the reason why I want to come back and do this because I, I, I I'm so grateful for over the years all the support that I got, and it blows my mind to this day
0: even now that we've got uh, Darren Taylor and Paddy Pimlet and, and you know a lot of good talent there's there's something about you and I think cuz you have that very british sense of humor when when you'd go into the octagon it was a bit like for me watching Newcastle play football it was like the investment it was like one of us is in there and I I, I still have never felt that with another fighter where And maybe it's because you were always in big fights, so there was always something at stake, whereas other people seem to have gone up and gone down a little bit more. Um, But with you, it was constant jeopardy. Like, this could go brilliantly, get a title shot. And uh, you kept on my toes, mate. Uh, Speaking of the Hall of Fame, uh, you're a fucking Hall of Famer. That's pretty good. I mean, what does that feel like?
1: Yeah, it's mental. It really is. Like, this is definitely a personality uh, faults part of me. but when I was a kid, all I cared about was fighting. You know what I mean? Growing up in my, in our house, you know, money was extremely tight mm-hmm. and there was a lot of violence around, you know what I mean? I saw way too much violence as a kid. So when I was growing up, uh, I wasn't popular. I didn't have many friends, but I could fucking fight. Do you know what I mean? And that kind of became my identity. And then I kind of leaned into that as I got, you know, when I started hitting my teenage years and whatnot. And then, and then that kind of, for the wrong reasons, you start attracting friends and whatnot. Do you know what I mean? So then I leaned more into that kind of tough guy thing and I was always always getting into fights and that's all i gave a fuck about and, and as i say looking back now as a grown man 42 years old and a father of three uh that was a stupid way to you know a stupid way to think it really was but that's all i cared about you know what i mean and i literally that's all and if someone from another town or wherever thought they could have a go, I'd be like, all right well let's meet up let's do it and i was doing that shit all the time wow so now so now to be recognised by the greatest fight promotion that ever existed, and that isn't me exaggerating. No one's ever done it bigger or better than the UFC. To be recognised by them and be put in the Hall of Fame, I think if you would have told that 16-year-old kid, uh, "Hey, one day you're gonna," you know what I mean? I mean, being a hard lad around town. I guess it doesn't get much fucking better than that, does it? If you you know, if you want to simplify it, and I know that sounds very stupid, but for me, and when I was younger, that's all I had. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I fucking certainly wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. You know what I mean? And the, life was hard. Life, life was tough. You know what I mean? And that's all I had. And I clung on to that because it's the only thing that, that gave me kind of confidence, if you will, because I weren't enjoying confidence from anything else. Well,
0: when you look at the company you're in, mate, George St. Pierre and the like, uh, who was recently inducted, you only get into that because you're one of the greatest of all time. And you... Are one of the greatest of all time, mate. Don't You've don't got like to accept that. it. You're in the Hall of Fame. This—it's not an opinion anymore. It's a fact, mate. Yeah. You've got the- well,
1: I, I guess I, I could say I could say that I had a Hall of Fame career. I wouldn't say I'm one of the greatest of all time. Well, I you wouldn't you that I'm sorry, mate. No, well, maybe for British <laughs> MMA. Maybe for British you're, you're MMA. You're just off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't. Th- I, I, no, but I'm not trying to be humble for the sake yeah. of it. I, I honestly, I had a good career and I was a good fighter, and I'm mm-hmm. proud of what, what I was as a fighter. But I. I I wasn't one of the best of all time or greatest of all time, but I, I probably had a Hall of Fame career, you know, because I know at one point I had, when I retired, I had a lot of stats, I had the most fights, the most wins, most strikes landed, mm-hmm. all that, probably the most fucking injuries and most knockouts <laughs> received as well. Do you know what I mean? But but I think that actually endears you to the public as well.
0: Well, it's the the thing about you is, you keep going no matter what. And and that dog in you is like very few fighters we've ever seen or will ever see. Um, and I think that's what is overall, that's what won you around with the Americans as well because the Americans hated you. We loved you. And it was, you know, the Dan Henderson thing, Mr. America, you're, you're the British guy. But now everyone seems to love you because at the end of it, people have to respect what you did. Like... Um, I interviewed Ian Wright, uh, the Arsenal legend, and he said, the thing about me is I rang it out. I rang every drop of talent out and made the most of what I had. And when I look at your career, you rang it out, mate. You you absolutely, you got every drop of it out there, even with one eye. So fuck me.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Mm. And yeah, you know, I mean, I guess, because you're right, at one point I was hated in America. And I mean, hated and and I didn't help myself. I did that like a dickhead at times. I look back and I see some of the interviews and the way I used to behave. Fucking hell. Jesus Christ. Is that that what I said? What a dickhead. Like for example, when I fought Matt Hamill, right? UFC 75, at the O2 Arena. And that fight, I got my ass kicked in that first round. And the second round and third round were really close, right? Mm -hmm. He could have won it. I could have won it. And I should have said afterwards, wow, holy shit. You know what I mean? That was a tough fight. Could have gone either way. But I never said that (laughs) because in my mind, I thought I was going to go out there and knock him out in round one. I firmly believe that. So I had this stupid little speech already memorized because we didn't like each other. They called, they marketed that fight as the ultimate grudge. And in my mind, I was going to knock him out super easy and then say, hey, who's the real winner of the ultimate fire. Same one it always was back to wrestling. Well, it would have been cocky if I knocked him out in round one, but when it was a fight that everyone felt felt he should have won. And then I still came out with that fucking thing because I'm full of adrenaline. Yeah. It did not go down well. And the American audiences, they hated me. And I don't know if you know this for the most part, the Americans don't like the English, right? It, I'm telling you, I wasn't aware of this till I moved there, but they're not, um, not all of them, you can't say that, but there's definitely a lot of them don't like the English. They're always going 1776, Revolutionary War, 4th uh, of July. I'm like, mate, nobody in England gives a fuck about <laughs> that. And they really think that it's getting to 1776. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Bear in the
0: mind. Like, fuck- Neither you or we were alive then. So yeah. just get, give it up, pal. Give it what up. What are you talking about, so, mate? Are man. you trying
1: to, You think that offends me? Jesus Christ. Oh, so no. anyway... So, it's so getting about, to you, Mike.
0: Oh. I can see it. It's getting <laughs> to you. <laughs>
1: Sean Strickland even said it to me. Uh, after one of his wins, when I was interviewing him, he goes, yeah, seventy seventy-six, Mike. I was like, all right, moving on, dickhead. Uh, but, um... <laughs> What was it? What was I saying? So yeah. And, and that's why in a lot of American movies, the, the bad guy is always the Englishman. You know mm. what I mean? So I was the perfect uh, fit for that, if you will. But then when I moved out of here and I started working on Fox sports and doing all that type of thing, and then I think they started to realize that I'm just a sarcastic bastard and I'm, I'm trying to have a laugh a lot of the yeah. time. Like I was busting balls and I was talking shit, but I wasn't being mean. I'm just having a laugh. But just some, getting about my day.
0: Sometimes the funniest thing to say is mean though, isn't it? And like, I think that's why uh, probably the same with the Simon Cowell effect over there. Like at first he was hated, and then after a while they're like, ah, oh, he's not actually a bad guy. He's just that's just his sense of humor. But it's like it's like they're, it's they're it's a like, bit slower not- on the uptake with that sort of. But they're not humor. slower
1: on the uptake. There's some very smart people out here, but they're very literal. And I hope America's don't see this because I'm, I'm very <laughs> well liked now. But but like the the, the sense of humor is just different. Yeah. Like for example, I was out here and I was talking to a woman when I first moved here, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's not the end of the world, is it? And she looked at me. She's like. Well, of course, it's not the end of the world. I'm like, oh fuck me! It's an expression, love. I know it's not the end of the world. Do you know what I mean? But that gives you an a, a, an idea of kind of how it is. But uh, it's a great place to live, though. I mean, yeah. we have a great life, and I'm I'm joking, and I'm you know we're having a laugh at their expense, I guess yeah. here. But you know, I do miss England terribly. I really do. And, and when we moved here, I never thought that I'd be. I don't want to say trapped here, because we can't I kinda of van but I have a good life here. I have so much going on. And, you know, and, and I know a lot of English people might not like it when I say this, but they call America the land of opportunity. And I'll be honest, it really is. Cause I, I got shit going on that I never thought would be going on. Uh, but we moved out here because I split up with my old team. You know what I mean? As Mm -hmm. I said, they were robbing money from me and things like that. And I just coached the ultimate fighter. And a lot of my team uh, coaches, assistant coaches were from California. So we built up a really strong rapport. They were good guys. I had a fight coming up to train with. I just left them. I had no team. I said, screw it. I said, let's go out to America for a bit. I've got the work visa. I said, guess what? Planes go both ways, but we've got three kids. And that was 10 and a half years ago. And now my son's almost 21 living in San Francisco. He's got a long-term girlfriend he's been with for three years. He ain't going nowhere. My, my daughter's 19. She it. doesn't. This is life to her. The, the so best things are sc- going
0: to be growing up with American accents now, mate. Well, they, they
1: have. Well, they've got English, but they've got American. It depends who they're talking to. Your grandkids went, are going to be American.
0: Back,
1: yeah, well, unfortunately, yeah. So... <laughs> If I if I came back to England, I'd be by myself. I'd have no yeah. wife and kids. That actually doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> Fuck it, I'm coming.
0: <laughs> so, so um, go back to the Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I was wondering actually, do you have a, a greatest of all time who you class as the ultimate?
1: It, well, well, I mean, it's the obvious three, isn't it? And you know, who I'm going to say it's Anderson, GSP, or John Jones. I I, I, th- I think those three. You know, are, are debatable. I don't know who you put as one. If it wasn't for John Jones's Pika grams and all the rest of it, I think I think he would be there. But the fact that he did test positive is a black mark. And yeah. same with Anderson. Anderson was incredible. He was the man. And to see what he's still doing now in the boxing world. All right, fair enough. It was Tito Ortiz and Chavez Junior. So it's not exactly fucking Canelo. But still, but still at his age, and the way good. his UFC run ended, to be doing that, it's unbelievable. But there's a few asterisks next to him as well. So yeah. I guess, I guess, I mean, you could say George St-Pierre. I don't know. I don't know if it would be, but he's, he, he's definitely up there. And of course, if I'm going to get beat off someone, if someone's going to take my belt, it might as well be the greatest, greatest of all, of all, all time, time eh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like the logic. Uh, I know a lot of people felt like Khabib was on the trajectory to get there with how oh, dominant. Shit, I but, forgot about him. But I feel like three title defences and then bouncing in your prime... I I don't get it personally. I feel like you know we would, you know, move up to 170. There's you know there's so many opportunities that you could have he could have really nailed in order to leave no doubt if that's what he wanted to do. So I feel like he himself took himself out of that conversation mm. because when everyone else has got you beating title defenses by treble the amount, it's hard to make that case yeah. in my
1: opinion. No, no, you're absolutely right because. Yeah. Could be Habib, should I say? Sorry, yeah. would be, would yeah. I know, yeah. fucking the commentary team, the yeah. producers are always in me. Michael, it's pronounced this because I'm always getting the names oh, wrong. Yeah. So talk so shit about me, not Joe Rogan. Yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> um, he, uh, uh, yeah, he took himself out of it, and if yeah. you look, yeah, he didn't fight the best until the end of his career. When you uh-huh. compare that with GSP or Jones or Anderson, they, yeah. they, their run against world-class competition was far longer. But for Khabib, I know it was because of his father passing away and he made a promise to his mother. So it's different circumstances. Uh, but But for those reasons, I think when you look at the resumes, even though he was undefeated, the resumes don't really stack up. And I say that with tremendous respect to Khabib, far be it from me to downplay his career because I, I would never dream of doing that.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Khabib's, you know, top five of all time probably. But uh, I actually think um, Usman's got a real chance of becoming one of the, one of those goats because yeah. he's already got four title defences. And when you look at the way he dismantled um, Covington and, and, and um, Burns and um, obviously the last one, Masvidal, I mean he's he's got more title defenses than Khabib and and he's shown such variation in his game. Um he doesn't he looks like he's not going to slow down either. I I think he's going to overtake a lot of them potentially.
1: I I totally agree because the thing is the scary thing if you're in the welterweight division is that Usman's just getting better. Uh-huh. He's getting better and better every fight, he's improving. Mm-hmm. We know when he came in he was a very heavy wrestling approach. He was a great athlete. He was very strong. He had dominant wrestling, but the hands weren't really too well, uh, too good, but they're getting better and better. Now he's training with Trevor Whitman, who's one of the best striking coaches in the game. And yeah, I mean, look look at his last performance against Masvidal, you know, Mm. Bingard him out cold before that uh, Covington, Gilbert Burns, and he's going through people making it look relatively easy.
0: Yeah. He's he's doing things that, although JSP obviously was dominant and you get on top of people and you make their life miserable Usman, i feel like he can do it all you know he can he can wrestle fuck you and then he can you can smash the hell out of you if he wants on the feet as well mm. so it's exciting um on the you mentioned john jones obviously he's in the news right now uh unfortunately again for not fighting but for other things uh have you met john and and what was it like when you met him
1: yeah no 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 I, i've met john many times mm. obviously he came to the uFC i think it was UFC one hundred or just before that so yeah I, just before. yeah i I've had a lot of runnings with John, you know, like I saw him not too long ago. I was in Las Vegas and cause I do a podcast and you know, if someone needs kicking in, if you will, if someone, you know, if there's someone that, that deserves a little bit of shit talk, I'll go there and I'll say it and say, I disapprove and whatnot. And I saw John and I thought, Oh fuck, here we go. He's, he's going to have, a, he's going to give me an earful here, <laughs> but no, he came over and he was awesome. He was great. I've always had really pleasant interactions with John. I've always found him to be a good person. I haven't seen That side of John Jones, you know what I mean? Obviously, in the octagon, he's been like that. If anything, the thing that used to annoy me about John was, he was overdoing the good guy approach, you know, the preaching about the God and all the rest of it. It's like, shut the fuck up. Stop being such a good at, goody goody two-shoes, because we all know beneath the surface, you're not that guy. But as I say, my interactions were always very positive. However, we do know. That there is another side, of course, because he's been just plagued by trouble with whether it's uh, the athletic commissions, the police, and so on and so forth. And this recent latest one really is. I mean, listen, I, I have a very firm stance obviously like everyone like any other normal person does about a man hitting a woman we don't oh. know the details but apparently she was covered in blood and all the rest of it uh, so one of the worst so-
0: details for those who haven't heard the report is that it was the child who said to the hotel staff can you phone the police and when your own child is ringing the police on you basically i mean that's fuck me that's the worst it can get really in it
1: yeah no 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 exactly and it's disgusting it is yeah. and he, I, I would only assume because the, the uh, from what I read his wife went off to bed and he went off to a strip with some mates right and if we know John Jones right from what the media tells us you know he likes a lot of booze and he likes a bit of Charlie do you know what I mean so I'm assuming he came back I don't know. Allegedly. I'm assuming yeah. he no, came back. For he I mean, his... let's be
0: honest. He's admitted no, it let's multiple be times. He's out of his yeah. st- He's
1: head-butting fucking police cars. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right? I'm not proud of it, but I've fucking been there. Do you know right. what I mean? You don't know what you're doing, right? right. you lost. I'm talking about when I was a kid. You right. know, you, 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 you're you blacked out. You don't know yeah. what the fuck is going on. By the way, I am not making excuses for him. What I'm saying is the guy, when he even came out and said it, you know, he has substance abuse issues. He's got to fucking take care of that because number one, He's got a wife and a family. To, well, don't she, not his wife, but still, he's got a partner uh-huh. and he's got kids to take fucking care of. And but at his, that age,
0: at that age, though, you know. Yeah, you're right. It, I, he's I, I'm he's not in doing that. I was doing that when I was
1: 18. Yeah, I'm you were talking it about it when you were a
0: kid. The guy's a grown ass man, big time. And, uh, and to me, I, that substance abuse stuff, and oh, I, I'm never touching, you know, the, the day after you've been exposed as someone who, you know, roughed his uh his his fiance up as it it was said and she's there saying oh i've got chapped lips or whatever the fuck it was and then he's he's putting a a bench pressing video out on instagram the next day going never touch and drink again i thought you you, you, this isn't a hangover mate you know like you've you've literally let everyone down again and i don't know how he's got any supporters left at this point me like because to say to be like i'm benching this much and i'm never touching drink again i'm like what the fuck well, is up with you? Like, y- you're
1: absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And when it comes to uh, a moral stance or a man-to-man, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. On the other side, and again, I'm not making excuses for him, on the other side, people watching for the fighter. I mean, if you want to talk about someone that's fucking out of control, I mean, you know where I'm going to go you know, Conan fucking McGregor, but oh, he's still yeah. got legions of fucking fans. I've yeah. seen you, I know you had a very, some very, very tough things to say about him as well back in the day or when he was doing his last rounds and when he had that incident with the old geezer in the pub. Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, it hasn't gotten and better. I'll be honest, mate. It's got uh, fucking
1: worse. It's got no better. You know what I mean? He goes out of fucking control. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Money doesn't make you a man. It just <clears throat> exposes what a cunt you are. Ab- right. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, people will tune in to see him fight inside the Oscar. Now I despise what he did. You know what I mean? You know, I I was around domestic, a lot of it when I was a kid. you know what I mean? So I have a very, very strong stance against that. I and mean, he, he should, I don't know, he should hang his fucking head in shame is what he should mm. do.
0: Uh, and that was the thing that shocked me was, it wasn't, you know, even a remorseful thing at this point would be falling on deaf ears. But he didn't even bother. He was like, "I'm bench pressing. Hey, I'm not touching drink again. You know, I it's like." I never saw that. Fucking hell. Did,
1: I, I didn't see that to be honest. I've been so yeah. busy prepping for this show and right. fucking waking up. Mate, with, he's literally got <laughs> the. He's
0: literally like, it's just him bench pressing with with a text thing of, "I'm never touching alcohol again." And it's like, what, so it no, wasn't
1: like he came to the camera and he, and he, and he spoke. No, nah, no, nah, nah. no. There wasn't even eye eye like he's a like,
0: listen. You know the usual tears down his eyes, humble apart. You know, and not he didn't even bother. Which, yeah. I mean, part of me thinks. I mean, if you're going to be that, then fuck it. But
1: and another thing that's not helping him, if I'm honest, and I'm not here to shit on John Jones. As I said last time I saw him, we were he fucking asked me for a picture and we took a picture together. Yeah. So that's why, you know. But but I'll be honest, this whole thing about him fighting, when are you going to fight again? Mate, do you do you know that, that, that the amount of times we hear,
0: oh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to get ready properly for heavyweight. It's like. We've been waiting for From a fans' years. perspective,
1: that's not what you want to see. You know, when DC was fucking light, everywhere, champion <laughs> stepped up and fought Stipe, that's what you want to see. Yeah. That's what makes you a badass. Going away for two years and putting on fucking 30 pounds of muscle and then coming back as a heavyweight is not what captures the imagination. That yeah. doesn't make you the pound for pound great. That makes you a man that legitimately competed in different weight classes. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? If you're good enough to step up and take on the bigger guys and beat them, that's what people want to see. That's the question that people want answering. Could he do that? Could the success at light heavyweight be be transferred against heavyweights? All right, all he's got to do is not cut weight. He's going to be 230 anyway, which is technically a decent-sized fucking heavyweight.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, right now he's 260, according to his manager, and he looked every bit of it at the Hall of Fame ceremony. He looked thick. Um, And he's saying, oh, no, I've got to get up to 275, apparently, or something. It's like... Let's be real here. The one, th- one of the main things for me, aside from the Peter Graham situation and the hiding under the ring and all of the other stories, he basically, outside of Gustafsson, had every opponent beat in size. So much. I mean, Machida was a fucking middleweight you know so he has a huge size and reach and, and height advantage over all of them really he's got the frame of a heavyweight heavyweight is probably where he should have always been in terms of so that is partly what i want answered in regards to is he one of the greatest of all time As heavyweight is people his own reach his own size where he can't just control them and if you look at his last few fights at like heavyweight he looks like he's slowing down the party might have been co- catching up with him and I think Francis Ngannou's got some fucking vengeance for uh, some of these women he's affected. You know what I mean? Well, From,
1: well, well, you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, and I do agree with you about Francis Ngannou there, by the yeah. way. But also, also, whilst we're, we're, we are, we're having a go at him and, and we're saying things that need to be said to be quite frank. And oh, even yeah. if you saw this, I'd stand by my fucking words 100%. But... You can't take away from what he did do at Light Heavyweight because yeah. you're right, towards the end, those last three, I think it was, Reyes. I think Reyes uh, won the
0: decision, although... No, me, me too. When yeah. I watched
1: I thought Reyes won. I was shocked. And then who yeah. was the other one? Uh, Tiago Santos. I think yeah. there was another one as well. They, they, they were questionable. But he did take out generations of fighters, you know Mm. what I mean? And constantly defending the belt so many times. So, you know, whilst it's easy to look at it all with a dim view and be pessimistic because of his current actions, uh, you know, you you, you can't completely write off what he did. But Um, still. Certainly not.
0: Yeah. If you're going to go up
1: to heavyweight, fucking do it. If you're not,
0: don't. Whatever. he's He's been talking about it for far too long. And I think the one thing that fans get sick of with fighters you know, and it, now with social media, it's such a different world to when um, earlier in your career, like, you didn't do fucking, oh, I'm going to do this. You just fought people, and that's what we want, you know what I mean? And McGregor, you mentioned him earlier, uh, 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 he talks so much shit. Like, the amount of crap he talks about, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. His last tweet about going to welterweight, I'm like, mate, you've just been decked. Well and truly, back to back of Dustin Poirier, I wouldn't even think about welterweight. You know what I
1: mean? Like imagine what Kamara Usman would Jesus. do to him. And Le- I'm not saying that as a McGregor hater, and I'm not a fucking hater. I was, I, I, I respect the body of work that he's done, just not the antics and and the last few performances. Yeah. But him against Usman, Jesus Christ, come on, let's 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 him against Masvidal. Even, do you even. know what I mean? Look what yeah. Masvidal did to Diaz. And I know MMA math doesn't stack up, but come on.
0: But I, it, yeah um you had a little bit of a back and forth with connor which simmered down and i'm not trying to you know put yeah. you in a position but it's it, it's strange because there's always been a, a an atmosphere there between you two for years what, what was it like when he just emotionally when he just comes after you purely because you said you shouldn't be talking about dc like that because dc's you know, I fucking heavyweight.
1: Yeah. it. DC will fucking flatline you. Simple yeah. as that. DC, DC's the real fucking deal. Yeah, mm. I know John Johns beat him twice, and we were talking about John. DC's not a man to be trifled with. Mm. Simple as that. I'll tell you. I work with a guy strongest fuck, and he's, he's he's the real fucking deal. Uh, he's talking shit about DC. I'm like, mate, listen. Me and Connor, he came to me looking for a manager, right? So, and I put him onto Paradigm Sports Management. That's how he came into my consciousness because Paradigm did a fantastic job. Uh, the very honest, the hardworking, and and, and, and
0: he, paradigm, if I'm not mistaken, were instrumental in getting the whiskey off the ground. And Audie Ator, whatever his name yeah, is, Audie, all, yeah, Audie Ator, yeah, absolutely. He, he's a part, a part owner of that. So, yeah, without Audie's you, a very, very
1: smart man, he's without a very you, smart man, in, putting him in yeah. touch
0: with that guy, the whiskey and everything that happened. Like, I'm not saying you know that's all you, but you were instrumental in putting him in with the right guys. Funny,
1: yeah, no, I was, I was, but but still, uh, and then so we were we were kind of somewhat pally, mm-hmm. and then he got beat off Nate Diaz, and uh, he got a part in the movie Triple X with Vin Diesel, but he had the Diaz rematch coming up, and he was worried he was going to lose it again, so he stepped away from the part. Now, I'd already uh auditioned for Triple X, and then Conniston for a different part. Uh, the guy, the, the the, I don't know if you saw the film, but the part that the Hound from Game of Thrones had, I auditioned for that, and the Hound got it because he was way better than me anyway. Uh-huh. So we got that. But when Connor stepped away, my agent calls me and says, "Oh, there's a, there's a part become available, but you got to go audition for it." I was like, fuck's sake!" I had to drive up to Santa Monica. I thought I'm not going to get it. I didn't get the last one. You know what I mean? But it's mm-hmm. weird in the acting world without sounding like a wanker. Um, the less you care about something, the less nervous you are at the audition, the better the performances. And I honestly didn't think I was going to get the part. I just went there to appease my, my agent. Cause I thought if I don't go, <clears throat> he'll stop getting me these auditions. You know what I mean? I, I almost two hour drive on a Friday. That's a three hour drive back in traffic, you know, and I was like, fuck's sake. And I walked in, I was a bit hungover as well. I didn't give a shit. And I did the part, walked out, drove home, got a phone call a couple of days later, you got the part. What happened then was at the press conference for Nate Diaz too, someone asked Connor about it. They said, hey, you were supposed to have that part in triple X, weren't you? But you stepped away because of Diaz, but Bispin did it. And then he came off the set and knocked out Luke Rockhold. Do you uh, regret not taking that part? And McGregor said, he said, oh yeah, I handed that to Bisping on a silver platter. He owes me a percentage of his money and all this type of shit like he does, right? And I was like, fucking hell, mate, you got enough going on in your world without trying to berate my accomplishments. So I was doing a radio show at the time and it's all very fucking petty, right? I was doing a radio show and I picked Eddie Alvarez to beat him. That was it. <laughs> and I was on set. I I, I was on set uh, doing My Name is Lenny. What's he called from I'm not stuck in two smoking barrels. Whatever, one of the actors and We were chatting away and I just looked down at Twitter and I've got fucking some proper abuse off him, talking all kinds of shit. So I just, I just warned him, hey, mate, you might want to just watch yourself with those uh, threats there, buddy boy. Uh, and then that was it. I'm like, listen, you talk shit, whatever, fine. Good luck to you. But we're done. We're not mates anymore. And, and I'm not going to fucking tow the line and kiss your ass. And if you act like a cunt, I'm going to call you a cunt. You know, so everyone says I'm McGregor hater. I'm not a McGregor hater. No. What he's done is phenomenal. 2016, that run he went on was unbelievable. And that can never be touched. But, but now, he ain't gonna it, fucking do it again.
0: The the chickens <laughs> have come home to roost, and, and um, it's ve- you know as someone who used to really you know I was a McGregor fanboy, you're not gonna lie. I mean, who wasn't swept up in the hype yeah. for a minute there? Yeah. But he's becoming like difficult to like, you know, like um, and a, a very easy to dislike actually. Uh, and the things he he's done recently, I I feel like he's staring um the end of his career in the face right now. And I I wondered what you made of where does he go from here? How do you see the finish line in sight for him? How do you see it panning out?
1: Look, listen, you know, uh, personal feelings aside on the guy, um, we get into this business to make money. Do you know what I mean? And as a fighter and someone from a a similar background to him myself, if you will, you got to respect what he's done, Mm. right? Some of the other things that we just mentioned I don't respect, but still in terms of what he achieved and what he accomplished, you can't take that away from him. His legacy is set in stone. Uh, But but it, it, it appears that that run has come to an end. Uh, and is he going to have a few more fights here and there? Maybe he is. If he's gonna, is he going to get the belt again? I find that highly unlikely, but you never know. He could come back and prove us all wrong. I don't think it's going to happen, right? It's the oldest saying in the book. You know, I, I even mentioned it. They're sleeping in the silk sheet. It's hard to get out of bed and run at six in the morning. But it's fucking true. It's yeah. true. That's what kept me getting out of bed. That's what kept me working hard. The, 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 the absolute terrified emotions that I would go through thinking that we're going to go back to fucking living in a council house again one day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, I, I, and he's achieved, he he's generational wealth. Do you think he's, he's, like wealth, do you think he's cha-
0: In the Dustin fights lately, as an athlete, I felt like McGregor's advantages of speed and that sort of stuff. He didn't seem to have that early on, the way he used to, the way his fast switch fibers would get there before everyone else. And when Dustin took the fight to him in the third fight, he, he, he obviously he shot, he, he, he was perplexed and he couldn't handle it. And I think to myself, you know, all of the partying as well, not necessarily just the lack of structure and the lack of training, but he, he doesn't look the same guy anymore. Um, and that's why I think what is left for him after, and if the leg even is okay to go again, big if, by the way. Yeah, um,
1: that is a big if. Yeah. It's a huge if, you know, he's never going to be the same again. we see seen Anderson left. struggle. Yeah. Everyone struggles. I mean, we're yet to see Chris Wyman come back. He's hell bent on doing so, but still Mm. it's a big thing to get through. Now you got to give him his credit. You know, you could say if anyone's going to do it, it'll be Conor McGregor. So that is yet to be seen. But in terms of t- Dustin, he the, the cat's out the bag. If you take the fight to him, if you get in his face and you don't give him that room to operate, and you don't and you're not scared of him, see that's the thing. You know, if, a lot a lot of fighters they're great at installing fear into their mm-hmm. opponents. You know what I mean? This controls everything, and it's all mm-hmm. psychological warfare in there. That's why this term trash talk exists that's what you're trying to do you're trying to make your opponent doubt yourself right and he used to be really really good at that and of course combine it with his skill and his speed and that left hand that he had and all, all the skill set that he had he was fantastic you know but uh, everyone's caught up to him you know it's what a mean? bit like Tony wilder
0: because he, he he needs a fight at a certain range and yeah. if you close that range as dustin showed he, he looked fucking in shock and here he is throwing a fucking guillotine just so he looks like he's doing something as he's getting mauled. Yeah,
1: well, what did he say? First one to shoot is a what? Uh,
0: yeah, dusty bitch or something like that. Yeah, Dusty bitch, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Um,
1: but that's it, you know, all that stuff with the DMs and his wife afterwards and everything. I didn't like all that and I'm sorry, I'm sorry I, I'm not talking shit and if he's watching this right now, you know what I mean? He's bringing the wives and stuff into it. Come on, man. Come on, let Yeah, go. there's a line. But
0: still. There's a line. Um, uh, There's a guy who, um, who, basically got all of his fame off conor mcgregor dylan Dennis and he uh he called, you Danis. Out. He, he called you out i think um and he, he was trying to act like oh i've got um, money to box you or whatever the fuck was going on and it's strange because this guy's always sort of chirping but we we've only ever seen him in a, in a cage once against a guy who actually gave him some trouble before he submitted him and uh he likes to talk but He's getting choked out by a security guard or something the next time we see him. And I actually think that this is like so fitting because he's almost seemed to love the fact that he can talk all this shit, but doesn't get in the cage. So therefore he can keep talking. And then the fight ends up finding him on a street. And I can't think of anything worse for a so-called like, you know, tough guy, an MMA fighter. Getting chinned is bad, but at least when you're in the cage against a fucking another fighter, there's some respect in that. When some random security guard is choking you out. I can't think of anything more humiliating for the guy.
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to add on to that humiliation. The guy isn't even a full-time uh, uh, security man. He's not a full-time bouncer. He's actually a chocolatier. That's what he does <laughs> for a living. The guy's a fucking chocolatier. He's a master of chocolates. That's what he does. And he was a bit short on cash. So he would doing a few hours as a doorman. Oh. He's never done jujitsu. He's done a little bit of Krav Maga. Raging of Quinto, who's fucking awesome, by the way, he does a podcast called Call Me Al. No and um And... And, and and for my YouTube page, which look it up, Michael Bispin uh, for my YouTube page, I, w- I want to do a little video about it because Dildo Dennis is a fucking dickhead. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not the type of guy to kick a man when he's down. I wouldn't, you know, when people get arrested and all this stuff, I'm not going to kick a man while he's down, but he deserves it because he's a little fucking stain. Right. And, and <laughs> I thought, right, I'm going to have a go at this guy, but I wanted to get some more facts. So I, uh, I called Al up and he gave me the whole lowdown and he'd been to a wedding uh, and, you know, got, got plastered. He'd had a few beers and then they go to this pub and they're going in and the doorman says, yeah, because in America you can't get in anywhere without ID. It's fucking annoying because I forget it all the time. England's not like that unless it's whatever. Anyway, but I'm, I, I'll never have mine. I mean, it's a fucking pain in the ass, but he didn't have his ID. So the guy goes, yeah, sorry, you can't come in. He says, don't you know who I am? Oh. And the guy's like, you know, you know, the classic line, you never say that. But the guy's like, no, I don't. So he started getting really worked up that he didn't know who he was. He said, I'm Dylan Dennis, Bellator, blah, blah. And the guy goes, well, that's really cool, but I don't know. I can't let you in without ID. So then he Googles himself and he's showing him on the phone. Look, this oh, is me. And no. the guy says, well, that's really cool. That's really cool. No. The, the law says, if you don't have an ID, I cannot let you in. Okay, what part of that aren't you understanding? And then another doorman came over and he started, Dylan started arguing with that doorman and then he got heated and Dylan punched him in the face, right? So when it all kicked off the other doorman, that was the chocolatier just fucking grabbed him from behind and started choking him out. And that was that choked him unconscious and the police showed up and took him off and I'm like, mate, Perfect. This is, and oh, and by the way, the other day on Instagram, Dylan Dennis puts up on his story, tags me in it. When I see at Mike Bisping, I'm going to punch him on site. I'm going to knock him out. I was like, I didn't even respond because oh, that's just what he wants. Mate. He's just trying to create tension. Have, have you seen,
0: he put some footage out when the whole um, Jake Paul versus Dylan Dannis thing uh, was supposedly, you know, going to happen. And he put footage out of him hitting the bag, sparring, he looked fucking terrible, mate. Like, genuinely, oh I've been training boxing about, what, a year, maybe a little longer. I thought, you look fucking terrible, mate. He looked like he'd, he'd been training two months, and he, he DM'd me saying, can I come on your podcast? So I, I, I genuinely thought, what the fuck we're going to talk about, mate? You've had no yeah. career at this point? You, you're a so, day one. So uh, you've had
1: two fights for Bellator, have you? And you've done a bit of jiu-jitsu. Yeah,
0: no, so, to, right, you got choked out by the security guard. What you know? Why? What?
1: What? It's just. It's it. Mate, pe- mate. We should. We we should message him. You message him back. <laughs> say yeah, and then I'll be on as the co-host, and we'll just so fucking funny. rip him.
0: <laughs> and the fact that and the funniest bit was is when Jake Paul recently put out that video dissing Tommy when he was like. You know, don't be Dylan Dennis. He literally used Dylan Dennis as a case study of what an absolute, like, fuck-up is. And he's like, I offered him a million pound, and now I'm never going to speak about him ever again. It was like... Wow! Like what yeah, have you no, become? No, he, he
1: missed the trick there. I yeah. don't know why he's got such an inflated opinion of himself.
0: Well, probably. the the fact is, I mean, I guess he was carrying an injury, but also he, he clearly didn't want to be the guy who lost to Jake Paul. But now he's the guy who lost to the security guard. Oh so yeah, exactly, it's exactly. Like, you could have had a million pound Paul. You've just got what done a free twist three of
1: fate. for a chocolatier. Perfect.
0: You know, a, ch- a chocolate tea has just done you a up, like a fucking
1: chocolate tea. <laughs> you couldn't write it, could you? All right, well, listen, Brian, I'll have to wrap this one up, my friend. Yeah. Uh, well, I can give you another five minutes. I've got a call, shortly. Bloody, right. The 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 PR schedule for this tour has been pretty relentless, to be fair. But, nah, uh, no, no problem. You, you've always you do a lot of great work, mate. So I wanted to speak to you, and uh, I'm a big fan of the show, by the way. So, no,
0: I absolutely so appreciate, it, mate. I think the last thing I want to talk about is uh, is Darren Till obviously a lot of people compare him to you because he was seen as kind of the second coming of you you know like just as you were finishing he was he was coming into the scene and i as a fan of him i've met him uh, once before seems like a lovely guy i am concerned at the stage he's i think he's at a real turning point in his career and I, i went and looked through his record i seen obviously He's been stopped uh, three times recently, once t once by Masvidal, and then Derek Brunson. He had a, a very close decision against Wonder Boy, which a lot of people thought he lost. And he got a decision against Gastelum. And the last time he definitively won a fight was Donald Cerrone. Now, for me, um, I mean, he definitively won the other fights, but they were close decisions. And... Now he's shown these struggles on the ground and he hasn't stopped anyone since Cerrone. What do you think he needs to do to make the most out of his potential? Because clearly the potential's there, yeah. but when you talk about being a top-level fighter, Donald Cerrone is the last guy you stop when you're now a middleweight and Donald Cerrone can't even stand up at lightweight. It, yeah. things, something needs to change. And I guess in the UK, I don't know what the level is of training, but what do you think he needs to do?
1: Well, just on that last point, I don't think anybody needs needs to leave the UK to mm-hmm. uh, to go on and become championship material. As I mentioned, I touched on it briefly. It's a long story. but That's not why I left. Mm. You know, I left because you know I, I had shady management; they were stealing all my money and and whatever. And I I had to I had to find a team. And at that point, there wasn't but on the ground really skills else.
0: though. A lot of people thought those ground skills against Brunson. Yeah, but, well, they were the, the, the ground scratch. skills.
1: Weren't, the, the ground skills weren't decent, and I've said that. And he definitely looked like he had some holes there. Mm. But what else? say about Darren you you hit the nail on the head he has got tremendous potential he's really good on the feet a very good friend of mine is Daz Morris and he was my Muay Thai coach for a bit and he was always so high on on Darren Till and how good he is and the uh, potential that he has but number one he needs to round out the skill sets of course he does but when you look at my career as well you know what I mean and and you, you know all right I never lost as many as what Darren has but he, he does show flashes of brilliance in them. If, if he's got the mindset and the, the determination, and he's very lucky that he's got time on his side. Time mm. is a valuable commodity. Took me to when I was almost 38 years old to win the belt. He's only 28, yeah. you know what I mean? And he's at a high level and maybe got pushed on a little bit too soon, too quickly. Mm. Um, but he the, should step
0: the fight. The Whittaker fight is where I think we're really seeing the level he's on. Obviously, Whittaker's top. Three. That's a
1: see that that's a great example because yeah. the Whitaker fight. I mean, Whitaker is so good. See him against Gastelum. That exactly. fight, and I, I really feel the Whitaker and Adesanya fight is going to be a lot different. I'm not saying Whitaker beats him, but I think it's going to be a dog fight. I really yep. do. Um, so yeah I mean and I'm glad you brought that up and I'm not just sticking up for Darren because he's my mate because we are mates and I th- I've got a lot of respect for him and after that fight against Brunson I went in the toilets afterwards I went backstage and you know we had a little heart to heart we had a little chat and he was devastated of course but mm-hmm. you can the, the the things he was saying he was you know reminding me of myself he's like I'm not fucking done I'm going nowhere uh, this is not the last people going to see me and he's st- still in Vegas now if I'm not mistaken he's uh, working on getting his knee rehabbed he's working mm. on his wrestling and his jiu so and you know, I, I do believe the best is yet to come, but it's going to be hard to stay that course because after a fight, it's all well and good in the locker room saying that, right? When you're still full of that fight and the adrenaline in you. It's when you go away and trust me, the depression does set in, the depression mm. sets in, the demons take over and then negative influences around you and you start going out and you start partying and all the rest of it. It's hard to stay the course and live the life of a professional athlete. Not, not only an athlete, a professional fighter, you know, what I mean? and do everything that you need to say, I am. I am going to be the champion. I am going to keep working. I am going to make the sacrifices. I am going to have to go join another team if that's what it takes. I'm not saying abandon Colin Herring because that's his brother and, and he's been there for him throughout thick and thin, you know, but bring on other people, bring on other coaches, assistant coaches, etc. Make sacrifices. Go up to American Kickboxing Academy with Daniel Cormier for a few months. Go out yeah. to Thailand. Do whatever the fuck it is. You've got to get out of your comfort zone and can't stay in Liverpool at the same gym you've got to fucking acquire different knowledge
0: yeah because as much as I know there's loyalty in fighting and I know a lot of fighters now and and it's difficult because you don't want to be TJ Dillashaw but also it's a selfish sport and uh, at the end of the day you've only got you in that cage and uh, I I really hope he finds those people that he needs because he has got the massive potential but when I look at when I spoke earlier on, I said you rang it out, you maximized your potential. He hasn't quite figured out that formula yet for sure. Uh, I don't want to take up any more of your time. No, mate. no, no,
1: no, 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 you're good. I just wanted to say a touch on something you said there. And yeah. and, and by the way. I could do this all day, mate. It's, it's lovely to speak to someone that knows the sport like you do. You know, you're clearly very knowledgeable on it. So it's great. I'm going to do my podcast. I want to fucking kill myself, but it's nice to talk to someone that knows what they're talking about. But anyway, I'm kidding Lewis, but uh, um, um, it's only because I got to run and do something else shortly. No problem, as man. you said, it is a selfish sport. Mm. You know what I mean? And loyalty is important. It is, but, but you've got to be loyal to yourself first. Mm. And some. And I'm not saying to leave Colin Aaron. I'm talking uh, in broad terms for all five. But, but when you look at the Anthony,
0: the Anthony Joshua fallout, the, there's been huge things where yep. people are going, heads need a roll now because he's yep. bringing in I've all the money it. and he was in that ring and didn't have the skills he needed to win that fight. Ultimately, didn't have, exactly, didn't have the strategy Exactly. And when Derek Brunson back. is schooling you on the floor and... You know, we watched years of of, of you um, knowing how to get back to your feet, knowing how to defend submissions. You weren't a wrestler, but you learned all the skills you needed to get the fight where you wanted to be. I used to
1: start every training session when I started getting taken down and stuff. I used to start every sparring session on my back, Uh and I had to get back to my feet before I could even start doing any proper work. Exactly. And there is very set, simple ways to get back to your feet. I know about five or six different ways that are fucking foolproof. You get back to your feet every time, nice and easy. But... They're, they're kind of easy in principle... But but you just gotta drill it, and you gotta drill, and you gotta drill, and you and to where it becomes second fucking nature. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? You gotta put that hard work in. But you have gotta be selfish in this sport because, as you just said there, with Anthony Joshua, Darren mm-hmm. tells another one. I was one. You gotta do what's right for you because at the end of the day, you're the one stepping in there. You're taking the damage. You're the one doing the hard work. You're the one fucking getting out of bed and killing yourself, driving yourself into an early grave, destroying your knees, you know, destroying your eyes and your neck and all kinds of shit. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? We're the ones that are gonna be sitting here like I am now in my 40s when my body's fucked. Do you know what I mean? So, so fuck everybody else. Exactly. you are got to do what's right for yourself. Of course, you've got to be respectful and you've got to be considerate and appreciative to people that help you along the way. But the individual, the fighter, they're the one stepping in the cage. So you got to do what's right for you. And on that note, on me getting on my soapbox there, I'm going to bail. I'm going to have to run. Anyone, if wants a ticket, myticket.co.uk Fucking get yourself there. Brian, let's do this again sometime, mate, because I really enjoy myself.
0: Man, thanks very much. I'll put the link for the tickets in the description below now and all of the dates will be in the description below so anyone can find out anything they need to know. And don't forget, Michael Bisping has a YouTube channel. He has a podcast. Those links will also be there. Mike, you know, I think you're a fucking legend. You're a hero. Appreciate you, mate. And I'll see you soon.
1: Keep up the good work, mate. Can't wait to do it again. Take care. Thanks a lot.